This is Ron Stockton. In 2013, there was a film entitled Hannah Arendt. It starred the wonderful German actress Barbara Sukova. I was paying attention to the world when some of the events featured in that film happened, but I was not fully aware of the specifics. I had read Mary McCarthy's book, The Group, but was oblivious to her role in defending Hannah when she came under vicious personal attack. Ironically, we were in Tucson at the time I saw the film. It had been a while since I read Eichmann in Jerusalem, so I went to my very favorite bookstore, Bookman's, to get a copy. Mine was in Dearborn. Bookman's has many tens of thousands of used books, sold at half the list price. I go there every time I'm in Tucson. I found the Eichmann book, but browsing on the shelves, I saw a collection of letters between McCarthy and Arendt. It was several hundred pages long. How amazing it was to see such a book at exactly the time my interest was at its peak. Some of those letters had to do with their lives and their loves, but many had to do with what happened after the Eichmann book came out. I was fascinated by the content of those letters, but also by the idea of colleagues writing to each other to discuss serious issues. Today we have email, and it is unlikely that our academic exchanges will be preserved for posterity. After reflecting on this loss, I contacted one of my feminist colleagues in another department, someone I liked and admired. We're very different in how we view the world and how our research has progressed, but I thought that exploring those differences with such a person would be very creative. I suggested that she and I begin an exchange of letters, as if we were hundreds of miles apart, without internet. We would write once a week on whatever issue we thought discuss we, th we thought deserved discussion. Education, gender, race, politics, power, the campus, whatever. These letters would be kept private for the time being. At the end of a year, we would decide if we wanted to continue our exchanges and whether to share what we had written with colleagues or just keep them personal. I had no idea if this would be a successful effort or not, but I was eager to try. I thought that if it worked, we might actually produce a small booklet of our letters. I was very disappointed when my colleague declined. I guess some traditions are just gone with the wind. Fortunately for us, McCarthy and Arendt were from a different age, and their letters were not only fascinating, but were preserved. Anyway, back to the issues at hand. Hannah Arendt is famous to the general public for that amazing book, Eichmann in Jerusalem. This is the story of the 1961 trial of the Nazi leader, who was often considered the organizer of the Holocaust, and how she, Hannah, came to cover the trial and write a book about what she saw. The Israelis snatched Eichmann out of Argentina and gave him a public trial and then executed him. Her book was an explosive discussion of his defense, that he was not guilty. He had never harmed a Jew. He did not hate Jews, and in fact he liked them. His job was to process paper. The decisions were made higher up, and he was but a functionary. Arin emphasizes that this was not a research book on Eichmann or on the Holocaust. She was writing as a reporter covering the trial for The New Yorker. She focused on what came out during the trial and the implications of what was raised. Arendt's theories of radical evil and the banality of evil, the subtitle of her book, were explosively controversial. 
She said that Western civilization assumes that evil grows out of a selfish focus on self-interest, but in fact it grows out of a willingness to reduce one's humanity and that of others. Stanley Milgram discussed this in his famous study of obedience to authority. Milgram had individuals used electrical shocks on people who failed to obey an order correctly. Some teachers, as they were called in the experiment, went so far as to cause heart attacks to the learners, who were actually allies of the researcher and were not being shocked at all. But the teachers didn't know that. Milgram said that those in a bureaucratic structure experienced what he called an adjunctic shift. To such people, they are not decision makers, but implementers of policy. A morally good person is someone who does his task well and professionally. This frees them of what outsiders would consider moral responsibility. I used this theory in my book on church conflict when I showed how good people doing what they considered the right thing by following rules and protecting the integrity of the organization could cause serious harm to individuals. Arendt's book, originally a series of essays in The New Yorker, created a firestorm of anger. Arendt was a German Jew from Berlin. To many other Jews, she was seen as arrogant, condescending, and a morally compromised traitor. She had surely not anticipated the extent of the vilification and character assassination that would come from even her closest friends. It did not help that she had been a lover of the famous German philosopher Martin Heidegger, who later became a Nazi and as rector of Freiburg University spoke words of praise for Hitler. Arendt was accused of focusing upon structure rather than German culture, so as to exempt Heidegger, and Germans in general, from responsibility. In one scene in the film, the young Hannah asks Heidegger to teach her to think. He says, if you want to think, you have to, be, you have to accept being alone. This was a very prophetic statement. In her book on the origins of totalitarianism, Arendt said two things that were controversial. First, communism and Nazism were essentially the same phenomenon. This caused those on the left, communist or not, to react very strongly. How can Nazism and the major enemy of Nazism be the same? Second, she said that the Holocaust was not really about Jews, but about the search for power. The Jews were just a pretext. For those who were invested in the idea that anti-Semitism was a two-millennia-long phenomenon of Western civilization, this was a deranged perspective. For those invested in the Cold War, these ideas were very dangerous. Okay, I have to note here that my colleague Sid Bokoski wrote in his book on the search for meaning in the Holocaust that anti-Semitism does not explain the Holocaust. Apparently, what is radical in one generation is accepted in another. Arendt wrote two things about Eichmann that drive some people to pure venom. First, she said that Eichmann was not evil but boring. She used the word banal. He was not a central decision maker, but a lower level bureaucrat. We learned later they were, that he was more influential than he said, but she was dealing with the evidence at hand in the trial. She wrote that Eichmann's sin was not radical evil, but thoughtlessness, two of her concepts. He just never reflected on what he was doing. In this sense, we could all be Eichmann's under the right circumstances. This is not what people wanted to hear. 
The second thing she concluded was that the local Jewish councils, Judenrat, were somehow implicated in what was what happened. She concluded this dur- during the trial when she encountered for the first time the rage that survivors had for the Jewish leaders who testified. They had helped organize the local communities. She said the Nazi task was easier because of these efforts. She said that just as some Germans had been compromised, likewise some Jews had been compromised. She said that for Jews, this was the darkest conclusion. This was just too much for some people. It was as if she was saying that both Germans and Jews were equally guilty. Moreover, she was blaming the victims. The reaction was extreme. The new school, where she taught, asked her to resign. Prominent intellectuals renounced her. Close friends abandoned her. The Israelis threatened to ban her book. In an ominous scene in the film, an Israeli limo with a right-wing official and two tough-looking security guards confronted her on an isolated road as she went for a walk. She was told that her book would be banned in Israel. She said, you are accusing me of being immoral, but you are banning my book? What a comeback. What a bold woman. I might note that the book was only recently translated into Hebrew. I first encountered Arendt when I tried to read Totalitarianism as a graduate student. This was not an assignment, but an effort to encounter one of the most significant books in political theory. To be honest, I found it obtuse and dense and far too abstract to be meaningful. I never got to the end. It was a bit long. I have two rules when I write, neither of which Arendt seemed to follow. First, I always have a reader in mind and try to communicate with that reader. Arendt seemed to be writing to some abstract intellectual, certainly not to me. Second, when I analyze my unit of analysis, even when I use a large public opinion data set, is an individual, someone I'm trying to understand. I'm not studying a concept or a theory or abstract pattern, but complex individuals who are a mix of good and not good and are capable of moving in different directions according to how they are led or motivated. Arendt did not share either of these goals in totalitarianism. But in Eichmann in Jerusalem, she showed a different style of analysis. She seemed to follow both of these rules. Of course, she was writing in a magazine that targeted illiterate readership. She also saw Eichmann as a complex individual. Under different circumstances, he would have been the head of the Chamber of Commerce not the symbol of evil. Circumstances and his own lack of a moral compass made him what he was. With good reason, this book is an enduring classic.